Well, I, I'm sorry that I, I missed out last week on the beginning of this series. I was really looking forward to it. I had a wonderful message prepared, and uh, then uh, last weekend I was snowboarding and had a little accident where I catapulted my body into the ground, and <clears throat> I didn't. And my, I guess my bones are really flexible, but so I didn't break anything. But I just really squished my insides really good. And, uh, and so the doctor said I, I had a little internal bleeding and told me to take it easy, so I did. So um, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm not taking any drugs or anything like that. <clears throat> and um, just to let you know, uh, <laughs> you might think, when well, he's talking about some strange stuff today, he might be on drugs. Um, but uh, no, I'm not, I'm not taking anything, but I, I'm not handing out hugs or anything just yet. So if you try, try to do that, I might give you an elbow or something. So uh, just a warning. But uh, if you weren't here like me last Sunday, let me catch you up uh, just a little bit on what we're doing here with the seven deadly sins. Uh, first of all, all sin is deadly. All sin is deadly. The, the seven deadly sins is traditionally what theologians and church leaders of the past determine were the roots from which all sin springs. Now, the truth that came out in the Reformation as, as the Word of God was opened up and people began to read it for themselves, the truth was, is that all sin kills. All sin kill, kills. All sin wages war against our souls. And the goal of the enemy of our souls is to steal our ability to participate in real life. To, to destroy the work of redemption in us, to destroy our testimony, to, and ultimately to, to kill our souls and to kill anything that reflects Jesus Christ, our Lord and God. Now, the truth of the gospel is, I, I know that sounds very ominous and scary and all that, and it should be, it should be, but here's the, here's the deal, here's the turning, is that the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ can rescue us from sin and death. He can rescue us from these deadly things that come after our souls. And my hope is that over the next seven weeks that our faith in the power of the cross and Jesus Christ will grow and the power of sin will diminish so that when we come to the crucifixion and resurrection Sunday, otherwise known as Easter, when we come to those days, we're going to know that Jesus really died for something. And it wasn't just for those people out there, but he died for us. And it's funny, as the staff, as we talk about seven deadly sins and preparing what, you know, what's the special, and we, we've been talking about testimonies uh, for each of them, and, you know, all the staff are like, well, I could do that one. Yeah, I could do a testimony on that one. And it's like, we're all saying, yeah, all seven of them. We, we could do it all. And, and none of us in the staff are very... Uh, 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 shy about that sort of thing. I, I think we're all kind of like, yep, guilty, guilty, guilty on all seven counts and all the derivatives of those things. And so I, also the other thing is I hope that in our church that we'll understand that confession and turning to God is something that we do all the time. It isn't something strange that happens in a Christian's life once in a lifetime. And so I hope also that we might be practicing a little bit of this over the next seven weeks. Now, last week, uh, last week we, we began with lust, this week gluttony. And in this, uh, I, I guess I, in, in starting and beginning, I just want to ask 
the question, can anyone tell me, and you can answer me back on this, is can anyone tell me what the first two commandments are of the Ten Commandments? No other God before me. Yeah. What? What? Keep his name a day holy. That's the third one. Close, close. That, that's a very good one. Have no idols. Yeah, yeah. They're very similar. Very similar. Have no other gods before me, and you'll make no idols for yourself. Well, you know, when we talk about Ten Commandments, and even when we're talking to children and teaching the kids and things like that, you know, a lot of times we skip over those two because that just seems archaic. I mean, that seems like stuff that only happened a long time ago. People worshiping some other God that's not the creator God. Someone, someone bowing down to a lifeless image. I mean, that's ridiculous. That, that doesn't happen today. But yet, last week, we saw that with the sin of lust, that is actually what is happening in the 21st century with people, with men and women they are bowing down to a lifeless image, doing exactly that. See, lust and sin is deceptive. The lust specifically, I have to have it now, can become addictive. And as Jason shared last week, the only way to overcome an addiction is to have a greater addiction. The only way to overcome an unbridled desire is to have a greater desire. Jesus is that greater desire. Resisting sin is useless until you replace your idol, which lust has an object, and that object becomes, whether it's uh, sex or power, it becomes the idol. Remove the object of your lust and replace it with Jesus. And, and, Jesus, and, and Jason said last week, you, you worship your way into sin, and you have to worship your way out. That is going to be the truth for every one of the seven deadly sins. And just as the addictiveness of lust is widespread among Americans, gluttony is also widespread. Now, just because a majority of people participate in something, it doesn't make that something right before God. I think we kind of have this American ideal that, well, if, a, if, if majority rules, you know, well, if there's a majority of people participating in this, then it must be okay. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. God doesn't operate by majority vote, but by the holiness of his character. Right and wrong are not arbitrary to him. Meaning, you know, God doesn't say, okay, today is Sunday, and I'm going to make the number two evil. Anything to do with pairs and number two is evil. And, and it's, it's not just off the cuff. It's not arbitrary. If God says something is evil... It is truly not good, and it is always not good. It is either harmful to our souls or harmful to our relationship with Him. Gluttony, like lust, can destroy us. We saw with lust, it's not just something that stays in our head. It's something that actually destroys jobs, it destroys marriages, it destroys thought patterns and thinking and natural appetites that should be there, it destroys those things. In the same way, gluttony can destroy us and can destroy our relationship with God. So gluttony is a serious thing. And I know some of you are like, man, I've never even heard anybody talk about this in church before. 
I have never heard of gluttony. I didn't even know it was a sin. Well, okay, that's all right. If you didn't know, you know, ignorance, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ruining it for you now because now ignorance is not bliss because now you're going to know. But, but, and so, but I, I think there are some warning things because, again, this, this isn't, isn't arbitrary uh, and what you'll hear today is going to help you and keep you from going on a path with gluttony that could really harm you. So what, what is gluttony? Gluttony is overindulgence. It's taking too much of something. In the Bible, it usually referred to excessiveness in eating and drinking. And though we could apply it to a lot of other things. And again, we said that the early church fathers said these sins spring, from these seven deadly sins spring all of the other sins. So with gluttony, you know, we could look around today, okay, what, what is it that we take in excess? What is it we overindulge in? And it can apply to a lot of things. It can apply more to not, not just eating and drinking, but it can to apply to smoking. It can apply to video games. It can apply to binging on Netflix, which is my family's deal. <laughs> Anything that we simply just take too much of. You know, the Greek word for gluttony actually means belly and described a person who was all belly all stomach. In Titus 1.12, the warning against lazy gluttons and a gluttonous life, it actually means slow bellies. In Philippians, Paul says he warns with tears those who have made their God their belly. So the, the apostle is, is moved to tears about this. I think in our American culture, we instead joke about it. So there's a, a different biblical perspective here we've got to gain today. We've got to figure out. And how does, how does that happen? How does someone make their belly their God? How can that happen? Somehow everything begins to revolve around the next meal, around the next drink, around the next game, around the next television series we're going to binge on. You know, the problem is that that is a consumable God. You take it in, and in just a few hours, you have to look again to fill yourself. Somehow, we, in that, we begin to lose sight of our souls, the eternal thing, and we, we begin to focus on what our bodies want, temporary things. And that's where the danger happens and begins. You know, 68 68% of Americans are overweight and one-third of Americans are obese. It's obvious that there is another God warring for its place among us. But the scales, scales don't tell the whole story. I mean, not, not everyone who is overweight is a glutton. And there are people who have amazing metabolisms who look very fit, but they do struggle with gluttony. It is their problem. You know, it's all a subtle form of misdirection, becoming obsessed with the body. You know, there are 8 million people in the U.S. with eating disorders. Bulimia, which is gorging on food and, and then throwing it up. There's anorexia, where you're, where you're starving yourself. Um, we have millions of people who are also spending tons of money 
on dieting, dieting products. So we have to be careful when we talk about this because, and how we talk about this, because the culture dictates to us or tries to tell us what is healthy. The culture tries to tell us what is beautiful. The only problem with the culture telling us these things is that the culture decides to change its mind every 20 years. If you want to study this and study uh, some of the things that the culture over the years has uh, said is beautiful, uh, check out the book called The Beauty Trap. You know, it wasn't too long ago that, that uh, here in this country that uh, beautiful was having a 13-inch waist. And so you wore a corset to get your waist to 13 inches. I can't imagine the squeezing and the pressure. On your, I mean, I've had some, you know, smashing into the ground kind of thing, but constantly having your guts crammed in like that, oh man, think about all the problems you would have. That's horrible. And then there, there's a, a, not a culture here in this country, but there was a culture that, that said uh, small feet were beautiful. And so they bound feet in such a way that even caused deformity, uh, inhibiting women from being able to walk. You know, the, the culture is very fickle, very fickle in what it says is healthy and what is beautiful. And so, again, we have to get a different perspective. I, I believe we have to get a biblical perspective. I, I mean, just, again, think about it. An example, you know, about 40 years ago, there was a woman named Marilyn Monroe, and she was considered a sex symbol for this country. And uh, if you were to bring her image, some of these young people don't even know who she is, but if you brought her image before some young people today, they would look at her and say, she needs to go on a crash diet because of what our culture says is beautiful now is different than it was then. You know, the culture affects us and our view, and so we've got to ask for God's perspective. And, and again, I mean, when you think of some of the people in the Bible, I mean, how heavy was Moses? I mean, how much did Peter and John weigh? What, I mean, what about Tabitha, Elizabeth, and Mary? What, 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 what was beautiful to them? I mean, the Bible doesn't say. It wasn't, it's not in there. We don't, it's never mentioned. And so somehow we, we have to read and we have to see and somehow get a perspective that is between the lines and what we're reading in God's Word. Now, the other whole side to this with gluttony is that God did have His people celebrate you know, for the Hebrew people that he pulled out and said, you are my own, I'm making you a special people. He gave them God-ordained festivals almost every single month of the year. And during those festivals, some of them lasting a week, some of them were shorter, but during those festivals, a big part of it was eating and feasting. And in fact, the word feasting is used. And, and it was part of a joyful celebration. So God is not against us celebrating with food. In, in fact, it was even established in the regular week, in the regular flow of life for the Hebrew people, that one day out of seven was to be rest and feasting. The Sabbath was, you know, they had, they had the day of preparation. They were preparing food. I know part of it was because they weren't supposed to light a match or whatever, make any fire on the day, but there was a preparation of food so that everybody could sit around and relax and nobody had to work and you could eat. <laughs> It was resting and feasting. Now, today, uh, and, and, and again, that was done in a community of faith. It was done together with people. It was not done by yourself. It was not done alone. 
But today, I, I really feel like we got it reversed around. It's not, you know, one day of feasting and resting. It's, you know, six days of feasting. And maybe one day is just a regular day. We kind of got it turned around. You know, we also need to be careful because gluttony, and this is probably the, the, the biggest concern with gluttony and the biggest danger, is that it can desensitize us to spiritual things. You know, think about Jesus and his story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a parable. It's not a, a, a true story that happened or anything, but it's, it's a story that Jesus told. But Jesus says that the rich man lived in luxury every day and that Lazarus the beggar uh, longed for scraps from the rich man's table. And this was a daily occurrence. And the rich man knew that Lazarus was there and even knows his name. But while he is on earth, there is no concern for this poor man. He is, the rich man is desensitized. He has lost sight of souls for his belly. Some might say it wasn't luxury that he was living in, but living in comfort while Lazarus was in distress. Now, the truth of that is that many of us do run to food for comfort. We, we treat a troubled soul as if it were a growling stomach. You know, Ecclesiastes says, Woe to you, O land, whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So, according to this passage, the purpose for eating is strength but we can quickly turn it into something else. You know, and this is really tough for us. Uh, I mean, not just for Americans, but for around the world as humans. Uh, I mean, what is basically the only instinct we have as human babies? It's to suck. It's to eat. It's to put something in our mouths. I mean, it's the first instinct. And, and every baby thereafter is trying to put everything into its mouth. I mean, moms are running around, no, don't put that in your mouth. Don't, don't reach under the couch and don't put that dust bunny in your mouth, you know? And it's like, but they're like, ah, I just want everything in my mouth. And, and, and it's almost as if when we become adults, we, we forget that instinct, but yet it still kicks in in times of stress, times when we're hurting. And what do we do? We want, we want to put something to the mouth. We want to we wanna drink something. We want to eat something. We want to smoke something. And it's as if we're returning to that childlike state to find comfort through our mouths. Yeah, but the problem with that is that the Lord our God doesn't want us to turn to created things for comfort, but to turn to Him, the Creator, for comfort. In fact, one of the names of the Lord is Comforter. So, in what we're doing, are we making comfort an idol? We're turning to something else other than God and making it what we revolve around. Yeah, I know maybe it's not comfort for some of you. I know that for those who struggle with anorexia or bulimia, that oftentimes there is a root of feeling out of control. And nothing is in control in your life, so the only thing you can control is what you eat. And so you're going to do that. Is control becoming the idol? These are the things that gluttony leads to. 
And if our God, who says he wants us to have no idols, is a jealous God, I think he will do anything for you, anything to break off that idol that is coming between you and him, that he will do anything to rescue you, to help you out of anything that is enslaving you. And that's what happens with idolatry. So when we turn to it, we think we're the master of it. But then the tables turn and we become the slave. Now, I mean, this has been the case from the very beginning. I mean, the first sin. The very first sin recorded in the Bible in the Garden of Eden was connected with something that you could eat. I mean, when Satan came and tempted Eve, you know, see how beautiful it is, how this could be. I mean, again, what was behind it was power, control, you'll be like God significance, all those things. You know that the first temptation for Jesus in the wilderness, that was also connected with food, wasn't it? Turn these stones into bread. I mean, this is something that the enemy has been coming after us with from the very beginning. From the very beginning. You know, when Jesus had a turning point in his ministry, it was also over the issue of eating. A whole bunch of his disciples just walked away because of the issue of eating. You know, there was, uh, here's the scene. The large crowds were beginning to follow Jesus. His, his ministry was really uh, busting out where he couldn't even go into towns and villages anymore. He had to go out in the countryside to preach. And at one time, there was around 5,000 people that followed him to the far, seat of, far side of, of the Sea of Galilee. And at that moment, Jesus said, uh, I'm going to feed these people. I'm going to take care of them because they're out here in, in the middle of nowhere. And he takes uh, five loaves and two fish and he multiplies them and they feeds the crowd and there's 12 basketfuls left over. So everyone was filled. Everyone was satisfied with what Jesus gave. Remember that. And then that night, Jesus decides to send his disciples ahead of him across the lake. He prays. He walks across the water, freaks out his disciples, gets in the boat. They get to the other side. The following day, the crowd has, has moved its way around the lake. They found him. And, uh, and Jesus says this to him. He is straight up with him. He says, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now there's a verse to memorize. The crowd keeps plying him to make more bread. And, and Jesus then tells them three times in, a, in, a, in a, quite a long conversation, three times he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, Jesus keeps pointing to the spiritual, but the people are desensitized to the spiritual and they want to keep looking at the physical. And they want the physical. And when Jesus comes down to it, he pushes them, and he says they must eat his flesh and drink his blood if they want real life. And that's when a majority of his followers, followers desert him. They leave over a choice between spiritual and physical. They make their bellies their God. They look to food to do for them what only God alone could do. They lose sight of their souls. And the same choice is before us. Do we really believe Jesus will satisfy us? 
or are we going to continue to look to the physical realm to find something to satisfy, to comfort, to help us feel like we're in control? So we've got to watch out for this. We've got to watch out for this desensitization, for this subtle misdirection that leads us into idolatry and having this false god of gluttony making us bow down before control, before significance, before comfort. It's tricky because unlike the other sins that normally we can avoid, we can take steps because we know, well, over at that place, that's usually where that sin goes on, so I'm not going to go there. Well, we can't do that with food, can we? We have to face it three times a day. I mean, we need to eat and drink to keep our strength up. And it seems that we can also easily swing the pendulum and go to the other extreme where weight loss is in. And if you're not physically training or on a weight loss program, somehow you're not glorifying God. You know, the focus then becomes on physical training instead of spiritual training. You know, I know a pastor who recently uh, used an example of his personal running schedule as, as a metaphor for spiritual training and, and beginning to read the Word. And after he preached that message, uh, the weeks following, he had lots of people come up to him and say, man, I was really inspired, and, and I've started running too. But he didn't have one single person come up to him and say, man, I was really inspired, and I've started reading the Word. See how easy it is? We, we quickly want to move from the spiritual to the physical. We want to we be able to touch it. We want to be able to taste it. It's hard for us. It is a battle. It is a struggle. So how do we keep the focus on Jesus, the lover and savior of our souls? How do we help people, help each other in the struggle with food, with gluttony, uh, and the things related to gluttony, bulimia, anorexia, and addictions? We've got to break the silence in church. That's what's got to happen. We need to speak about it. I mean, why is it that the American Medical Association and the Cancer Society is talking more about abuse of the body than the church is? Why, why is that? I mean, to be neutral or to ignore is wrong when we are killing ourselves with a fork and spoon. And really, that's what's happening. When your God is your belly, that is a serious thing. Paul described that not only with tears, but he put that, that sin of gluttony alongside with those who were enemies of the cross. Look, I, I, I even know pastors when we get together and there's jokes about being heroes at the table. You know, who can eat how much and boasting about eating big and joking about the spare tire, you know. But you know, there's a moment when it's just not funny anymore when it is killing us it's destroying us and it's consuming our thoughts as 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 sue shared with us at the beginning thinking too much are resolving uh, revolving around everything around what the next meal is about look god is concerned about our bodies along with our souls he says that a believer's body is his temple and if anyone destroys god's temple he will destroy him Wow. I mean, that's serious. I mean, and then God goes on to say, no matter what we do in our bodies, he says that we, we, whatever we do, do it for his glory. Even eating and drinking, do that for his glory. The Lord desires us to do that for him. And the question is, are we destroying our bodies or are we glorifying God through our bodies? 
We have a choice. And so when it comes to overindulging, we need to treat overindulgence like a sin, to call it like God calls it, gluttony. When we're overindulging in drink, we've come, become a little better about that in this country. Uh, we, we, we've come to say, well, that's alcoholism. And, and people go to groups to really admit that the problem is real and, and say, I am an alcoholic. And it's even hard to say, to admit that it's a real problem. One of the biggest things that goes on in those groups is confession. So in the same way, it's got to happen with this other form of gluttony, with food, overindulging in food or a food addiction. We, we need to say it. We need to say what it is. Say it's gluttony. And we might need to toughen up on ourselves and say this is a real problem in my life to confess it, to admit it, to find help. And at the same time, toughening up on ourselves, we need to be sensitive to others. We need to be sensitive. Be tough on yourself, but sensitive with others. You know, Romans 14 and, and 1 Corinthians 8 are both chapters in the New Testament talking about eating and drinking and not letting those things cause your brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And the passage are, are specific to food and drinks offered up to idols. But they definitely still apply to us today with our more sophisticated idol, idolatry with food and drink. So, but the final counsel from these two chapters is to, to do without these things. If you know it's going to cause someone to stumble, you may not be the one who has a problem with gluttony. You may not have a problem with being gluttonous with drink, with alcohol, or being gluttonous with food. But there might be some people around you who really struggle with it. And, and those chapters advise, well, don't, don't do something that would cause your brother to stumble and, and then to fall back into sin. And so it, it's, it gets real personal. It gets up in our business about something, about, what, about our eating habits, about our drinking habits. That's tough. That's really interesting, especially on a day like today when we're having a special dinner, you know, dinner for donation for uh, the East Asia missions trip. I mean, you know, I, this was not on purpose, I, I promise you. Um, so, you know, it's all going to be kind of fun. I mean, even for me, you know, I'm the guy who likes to go back to the buffet bar more than once and, you know, get, get all excited about that. But, you know, what is enough? Shannon, what is excess? It's food. food isn't going to satisfy my soul or whatever that is that's driving me to keep going back. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. And I, you know, I just, in talking about this, again, we, we've got to pray for God's perspective on this not society's perspective. I mean, you can, you can get into a group that will help you gain perspective on the destroying power of gluttony. But I, I warn you, I want to warn you about trying to do things by yourself. Because I know that there's the whole thing of maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time going, well, okay, maybe I do, maybe there's a little something going on, but, but it's not bad. Or maybe there's something a little going on, but I, I got a handle on it. Just be careful with that. I mean, it's the same words that alcoholics use, drug addicts use. Same thing can happen with eating disorders, food. And the whole, I'll do it myself, I'll, I'll find a program, and I'll work it, and I'll, I'll come up with these rules, and, and I'll, I'll follow it, and I'll get better. 
And, and there's tons of people have tried to do that with other forms of gluttony, and they fail doing it on their own. And, and I know what holds you back is the whole thing of it's confessing something that is embarrassing. And, and there's shame attached to it. And I just want you to know that Jesus Christ just removes the shame from it. He can remove it. And I want you also to know that, that it's, it's very common that if you are someone who struggles, you're not alone. And that's one of the other great things about confession and something about it, about the way God wired us as humans when we confess and when we open up about these things, somehow it exposes the power of sin and, and it reduces the power of sin when it's brought out into the light. And somehow it no longer has power over us. And, and that's the crazy thing about it. And I know it's the thing that we resist the most. But I, I want you to know that you can also do something on your own. And uh, you can even make up your own Ten Commandments about eating, about gluttony. And you can follow it. And I bet you'll follow it for maybe about 40 days before you break most all your Ten Commands that you made up. It's just human nature. It's what's going to happen. And, and I, I just want to say that you might end up being one of those people who can be really good at obeying the commands or the rules that you make up. And, and you can become really legalistic about it. And, and you can start looking down your nose at everybody else who, doesn't, who can't keep your rules. Here's the secret. Nobody knows what your rules are. Nobody cares. <laughs> and so when you're looking down on everybody else, nobody knows why you're so stuck up. And everybody just goes, what's their deal? What's their problem? Why are they so self-righteous about eating and not eating and what they eat and what they do eat and blah, 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 blah. So just, again, let's, let's pray for God's perspective on this. And, and again, rule-keeping is not going to save you. It just becomes another form of self-worship. And self-help is, is not going to really help you in the end because it, it, it's not about your willpower. It's about Christ's power in you. It's about confession and prayer and replacing your idol putting God back in his place, Christ back in his place in your heart until that is done. No amount of self-control or willpower is going to help you until the idol is replaced. So I guess in this, in saying this, this morning, um, you know, we have another testimony we want to share with you, but before we share that testimony and we worship and we respond to this message, I just want to say, what would be wrong with an invitation and, and someone responding to a message here at Highland and, and they, them confessing, what would be wrong with them confessing saying, I have an obsession with food. I'm obsessed with food. I think that would be totally appropriate. A totally appropriate response, a totally appropriate confession and an appropriate prayer request to say, would you join me in prayer? I, I've been in this fight and this struggle all by myself and I need someone to stand beside me to help me fight this. I mean, and, and go a little further, what would, be, what would it be like to call the elders to pray for you about this area in your life? I mean, that's what James 5 talks about. It says if you're in trouble, if you're sick, you need help, call the elders of the church. Call the spiritual leaders of the church, and they will pray for you. They'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. I think there's something special about it. I don't think there's any voodoo or hocus pocus in it. I just think it's obeying God's scripture and faith. And something happens. 
So here we are again. We come back to the same place that we come to most every Sunday before the cross of Jesus where, where the ground is level, all of us sinners needing a Savior, and Jesus and his cross being the only thing that can save us from deadly sin. And I'm telling you now, again, he, if, if you have an addiction, you've got to have a greater addiction. If you have a, a, a desire, a, a gluttonous thing that's going on in you, the only thing to overcome it is a greater desire something greater and that something greater is Jesus Christ he is the only one who can save us from deadly sin sin that tries to destroy us confession and prayer are the tools before us and in the next few moments it's going to be a time for us to say Lord I'm replacing the idol I realized it's crept in it snuck in on me and I didn't realize it and I confessed I've been an idolater but I know that you're the true God and I'm going to worship you alone. I'm going to put this aside. I know that you're the only one who can bring me comfort and you are the one who is in control and so I confess my helplessness before you. Or it might be, Lord, I, I just need to confess to a brother and sister in Christ because I need someone in the fight with me. It might be, Lord, this isn't my struggle, but I know I have a family member. I have a friend who's struggling with this and I want to lift them up to you in prayer because I know they need your help right now. Help them to make you their God. Help them not to turn to the idolatry of gluttony. So right now I want to pray before you watch this testimony. I want to pray about your relationship to the Spirit. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be active in us as your people. And Lord, that you would point to us the direction or step we're to take. It's confession or replacing an idol, if it's uh, turning away from something and turning back to you, if it's praying for a loved one or a friend, if it's, Lord, those, those things, Lord, we will need your help. We'll need your spirit within to give us the strength. Lord, it's by your spirit that we put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's by your spirit that we are supplied the fruit that's called self-control. And Lord, we know that the Spirit can't be active in our life if we have an idol set up in the temple where your Spirit is to reside instead. So Lord, help us to dethrone the idols, to knock them down, to bust them up. Help us to be tough on ourselves. Help us to be sensitive to the others around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.